0: To the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. All right, gang, and we are back once again here in the Lions Den for another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, guys, I gotta be honest with you. I know I put on a happy face when I do these shows, I try to maintain a positive attitude. Even when we're talking about terrible things like the ever-expanding police state, an increasingly tyrannical government, people losing their liberty, people getting no-knock raids on their doors, stuff like that, I still try to stay positive because I think our attitude is paramount in life. If we have an attitude that everything's terrible and everything's awful, well, things are probably going to be terrible and awful. If you have the attitude that things can get better, that you can make a difference in the world, and that you can change things, well, yeah, maybe that'll happen. (laughs) It's the best we can do to try. I see a lot of reasons to be positive about the direction of the liberty movement. A lot more people are talking about this stuff than ever before. We have awesome new technology at our disposal to do so, to communicate with others. We have the internet. I got a podcast, a website. I didn't even know what, what those things were a decade ago. But, you know, once in a while, I kind of hit a rut. Now, Spall, part of me just wants to harken back to my childhood when I didn't have a care in the world. Now, as a kid, my biggest worries were, uh, you know, if Hulk Hogan was going to (laughs) win, win the match that night, if he was going to keep his title, or if my dad was going to take me out to get ice cream later. These were the major pressing concerns in my life back then. I knew nothing of the ways of the world. Politics, government, money, liberty. This stuff was meaningless to me. You're just a kid. Maybe maybe you're as free as you can ever be when you're a kid. And before, quote-unquote, real life, the real world starts getting down your throat. Stomping on your throat, metaphorically, sometimes. It's not always a metaphor, though. It's times like this week, it's hard to be positive. I don't know if a lot of you guys know about the case we're going to discuss today about Kelly Thomas, a mentally disabled homeless man who was beaten to death by several police officers in Fullerton, California, back in 2011. And it's a sad sad case i don't know how many of my listeners out there are familiar with it i believe it did make national news to some extent but i I, you know people out here in california as i am out here in sunny los angeles you know probably have heard about it a lot more it's just it's a very sad case situation that just i mean pulls at my heart it's one of those things where you just want to bury your head in the sand forget about the ways of the world forget about all the bad things happening You know, pop in an old wrestling show, watch Hulk Hogan or something, and and go back to childhood and forget it. But unfortunately, I can't just do that. (laughs) I have a podcast to produce, first of all. I know my listeners are out there waiting for it every week. Can't just shirk my duties. To all my Liberty friends and fans out there, gotta pull up those bootstraps. Do a little podcast for you. What do you do when you're down and out, down in the dumps? Not feeling too good. Hey, call up a friend. I got a friend of the podcast here with me today. And if you're a fan of the show, you have heard his voice before, even though he has not technically appeared on the show. You've heard a jingle for his website, thenewamericanmedia.com, and his show, Agree to Disagree. Every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific on thenewamericanmedia.com. Join the
1: show, offer your opinion, and let's agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation.
0: He is the founder of New American Media, the host and producer of the weekly show, Agree to Disagree, Brian Engelman. Welcome to the Lines of Liberty podcast.
1: You know what? It's good to be here, Mark. I just want to say I'm really proud of you and your work because you and I have kind of been on similar paths for a while and you had expressed an interest in doing some radio programs and whether it's live or after the fact with a podcast is kind of irrelevant. What's important was that you had been talking about this for a while and I've been seeing all of your updates and all your new podcasts coming out and I'm I'm really happy to see that you've taken that step. And I'm guessing you're probably starting to realize that radio isn't just about running your yap. There's actually a little bit of work put into it. I didn't really
0: realize it two and a half years ago either. There is a heck of amount of work. And, you know, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have a lot of good people helping me out, both in my personal life and on the professional side of things, because I not do this alone. I don't know. Anything. I didn't know anything about audio, anything about web design, and now I have a website and a podcast, and I definitely could not have done it on my own. But I'm glad that I've done it because now we have this wonderful forum where we can come on and talk about the things that matter to us. Now, thing about Brian Engelman here is the first time I ever actually did any kind of radio appearance or you know actually spoke in a broadcasting manner about liberty was on your show. Agree to disagree. You brought me on, I think maybe two years ago during kind of the heat of the presidential run, and uh, we yapped for a couple hours and hit it off, and you live out here in LA with me, so we've been buddies ever since. So, in a little bit of a way, you kind of got my start here doing this whole radio thing. So, I'm glad you're proud of me. I'm I'm proud of myself for not just talking about something I wanted to do, actually finally getting off my ass and doing it. But I'm glad we can be here today. Well, that's such a big difference,
1: though. I, you know, and that's, I've never had a problem taking a jump, taking a risk, going after something unattainable, you know, air quote, unattainable or air quote, impossible. I don't think there is such a thing. And I try crazy stuff. For example, a thing that just jumped into mind, when I was what was it, maybe 19 years old in college, I, I'd watched a bunch of bands. I'm a musician. I always have men in rock bands and stuff. And I watched a bunch of really good musical acts go to Ohio State or to Cleveland State or to Kent or to Akron or to Central Michigan, basically everywhere but Bowling Green State University where I went to college. So I applied to be the University Activities Organization concert director, and they said, oh, you can't bring a major concert here. I said, why not? Well, we haven't done it in so long, so let's do it this year. Well, it would take too much. Well, what's too much? I'll do it. Well, we need a budget. All right, what's our budget? $9,785. Okay, how much do we need? 100000 Okay, well, let's get $90,000. <laughs> know,
0: That's I, impossible, I, I Brian. You a... can't do that.
1: Exactly. Oh, I like this. Now, now we're doing the role play. Oh, you're yeah, like, yeah. You're it's like a role play for those, not,
0: for those at home. Uh, yes, I am now playing the role of the kind of demeaning uh, executive or administrative uh, whatever was, that was telling you that you can't do that, son.
1: You're the, you're the crusty old dean of students, like Homer would refer to on The Simpsons or something. Mm-hmm. That crusty old dean. You know, they gave me under ten grand. They said it cost 100000 I did budget reallocations, co-sponsorships, begging and pleading, kicking and screaming, and I found forty grand laying around my school. That was enough to let them allow me to place the bid on a $100,000 concert. It was the MTV Campus Invasion Tour. And we sold out 4,300 seats in a day and had a really fantastic sold-out concert with Moby opening for Bush in our little arena after years and years of nothing happening. So, you know, I, I like to try things. The point is I don't mind falling on my face ever because if I don't get another chance at this world, why do I want to leave anything on the table, Say, leave anything unsaid, leave anything untried? You know, I, I'm not so carpe diem sees the day that I'm risking and being, you know, engaging in ridiculously reckless activities. Don't get me wrong. But there is a huge difference, Mark, between the people that run their mouth, complain about everything, and the people that will actually decide to do something, whether it makes a difference or not. Hey, let history be the judge, but you did that. You, Like you said, you actually did something about it. And, you know, I've, I've never been afraid of failure, and uh, I think the new media is connecting a lot of us together, and we realize we're not alone, and I think it's a, a great time.
0: Absolutely. And that's a theme that kind of keeps coming up here on the podcast with various guests, because everybody that I interview started off as, you know, someone that nobody had ever heard of, too. And at some point in their lives, they said, actually, no, I got to do something different. I have to take a risk. I have to jump into something and, you know, see what happens. If you're passionate about something, it doesn't need to be liberty or politics. It can just be, you know, like you, throwing a crazy concert that no one thinks you can throw or starting a business, anything like that. You shouldn't be afraid of failure. In fact, you should just welcome failure. I mean, if you fail, that's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to say, okay, I did, I failed, and here's the three reasons why, and now I know about those things, so next time I try something like this, I'm not going to make those same mistakes again. And you just got to keep doing it and falling on your face and getting back up again. And, you know, making a couple podcasts that don't sound as good as you want, and then eventually, over time, you get some that sound a little better
1: funny you say that <laughs> for a couple of reasons. One, because one of my passions, aside from just throwing concerts and, and doing that, I, one of the other shows that I do is called The Unhappy Hour. As a Cleveland sports fan, I, I have never celebrated a Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Browns, or Cleveland Cavs championship in my 34-plus years, so I also do that. You know, I try to mix it up, have a little bit of fun, and talk a little politics, except that a lot of times my sports isn't fun, so I actually need politics as a diversion from my miserable sports. Which is kind of crazy if, if you think about it. The theme of following whatever you're passionate about is something that I just kind of feel like this country's lacking right now. There's so many people that I know just trudge through what they're doing just because they've been doing it, whether it's a relationship that isn't working, a job that's unfulfilling. And I actually had the chance, I went to the Los Angeles Science Center for, what was it, like, it, it's a free museum, but it's like $2, and you can see the Endeavor space shuttle. You know, and I, and I was walking around this thing, taking pictures, I'm just going. I watched like the 10-minute video of where they flew it into Los Angeles on the back of another plane, and then they had to, to design a way to drive it through the middle of Los Angeles and cutting down trees and removing power lines just to get it there. And you realize what this has been through, and I was inspired. And I realized, man, we haven't been inspired in this country in a long time. It has been so long since this country has had a cheerleader. You know, and go, go back. I was too young to really understand Reagan. I was born in 79. But the one thing that is kind of the consensus, whether you love him or hate him, he was a hell of a cheerleader. He was a hell of a, uh, a positive, optimistic, we-can-do-anything kind of leader. And, and, I mean, for the past five years, we have not had that. You know, and that, that's something that I think maybe if more of us followed our passion somehow I think we could get that back, but just to wrap up the first point we were making, when it comes down to the choices that we make, yeah, uh, difficult, risky decisions, they're, they're not easy to make, they're not maybe the safe choice, but even just something as simple as moving to California, uh, what was it, eight years ago. I mean, that's crazy. If you can just last a couple of years, wow, I made it.
0: <laughs> that's a decision that I made myself, just as you did uh, about a decade ago. This September, it'll be exactly 10 years since I moved out to L.A. from Connecticut. And you know, people encouraged me, but at the same time, so many people were like, well, do you have a job yet? No, uh, well, what are you gonna do? I'm like, well, I'm gonna make some contacts. I I have some people out there. I'm gonna just, you know, see what I can get into. What do you mean? You're just gonna you're just gonna go out there without a job, without knowing exactly where you're gonna live and all this? I, I was like, yeah, that that doesn't seem crazy to me. It seems like what you should do. You should take a risk. Go try something different. I don't want to just live in the town I grew up in forever and not see what other opportunities might be out there.
1: That reminds me of the the line from The Departed. Have you seen The Departed? Absolutely. Great film. I believe it's the first line. The screen might even be black, and it's Jack Nicholson. He says, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. And you'd mentioned the first few shows you'd done. Maybe the levels weren't done right. Maybe it didn't come out exactly as you were hoping. Uh, You know what? I think for two years, (laughs) a little little fun fact here, everybody. If you go back on uh, the New American Media, uh, whether it's YouTube or you know, it's all embedded everywhere, but if you go back, I believe that the first two years of my shows were being broadcast in mono instead of stereo. And over over several months, I was, people would leave comments: "Why is it only in the left channel? What's, what's wrong with your audio?" I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an audio guy. You're like, I, don't I don't know what you're talking about, about. Demos, <laughs> but <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: audio. Wait, there's two. No, I am yeah, and, and, and I was like, that's not my forte. That's not my strength. And it's like. I don't care. I don't care if, you know, the, the, there's that phrase, it's better to have a good plan today than a perfect plan tomorrow. And I do try to live by that. When I, when I feel something, I try to take a few steps in that direction. And, I mean, it, it, it's just astonishing to think that it was two and a half years ago that our mutual friend, Ted Distel, uh, I believe that's how we, we met. Anyhow, he's yeah. a web designer. He has a place called distaldesign.com. I try to pimp him every chance I get. That's D-I-S-T-E-L. Design dot com, and um, you know we just threw a website together. I can't believe it's been two and a half years. I just do one show after another show, after one link, after one tweet, after one Facebook post. And I look back now and I can't see where I started. You know, and that's my advice to anybody: if you're feeling passionate about something, start pursuing it. Little baby steps. You don't have to do everything at once and quit your job, but start taking steps. And who knows where you're going to be two and a half years later?
0: Right. I mean, even if it's, it's not like you have to. Finish the whole plan the day after you think of what you want to do, even a little baby step like emailing someone and saying, hey, I'm kind of interested in this and I know you know about it. What advice can you give me or just little stuff like that? You take a little step every day. Next thing you know, you look up and you're doing it, you know. If you continually pursue it, if you take a little, you know, baby step every single day, you are going to get there, wherever it is you want to be. There's no doubt about it. If you put your heart and soul into it, and you know that it's a good segue to you and your project at thenewamericanmedia.com with agree or disagree. How did you first get inspired? to just not sit on your thumbs and think to yourself about all the problems in the world. What made you take that leap, create your own space, your own website, where you could kind of focus on the stories that the mainstream media isn't covering as much, things that you think are important? And, you know, what inspired you to start that, start your radio show, the whole spiel?
1: Well, you know, when I was in college, I always had a radio show there. It was, uh, what was it? 3 to 6 a.m. on Friday nights. It was called the B&B show. It was, it was me and Brandon, Brian and Brandon on the wake-up show. For like three, three and a half years, we had a show. And it was freeform. We got the lousy time slot because I didn't like the, the forced programming that they wanted us to play. So even back in the day, I knew I loved the microphone, and I knew I didn't like being told what I could and couldn't play and could, could and couldn't say. I knew that right away. You know, I wanted to hear the outtakes and the live versions of cool rock songs. I didn't want to hear garbage indie bands whining about being pretty or something. Like, it. I didn't like the the stuff on the format, so I found a free format show. Um, you know, in college, I also did the same thing that I'm doing now. I, I, I cover the news. I worked for the BG News. You know, I think at the time, and who knows, because everything has changed so drastically since, what was it, 97 through 2001. So right around that time. I mean, I think we were the the nation's largest independent student newspaper. We were I I believe almost entirely self sufficient and funded with our own ad revenue. So we didn't have advisors or school officials censoring or editing with the board of directors or some sort of editor in chief telling us what stories we could and couldn't cover because they didn't hold the purse strings. And I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but the reason I went and worked at the bg news is because i felt their coverage of me was unfair i became a bit of a public figure putting on the bush moby concert i mean because this is something that, that had been building for the entire year both semesters uh we were coming off of a lawsuit the year before i didn't really have anything to do with that show they overpaid for an act i think it was they might be giants and it didn't sell, then they had to cancel, and nobody cared for the show except for the 500 people that did buy overpriced tickets, and they were furious. The whole organization was just in shambles. People got fired. They cleaned house in the UAO organization, and then I came in. So there was tons of scrutiny on me at the time, and all year long I was working on this show, but I couldn't announce it because we didn't have a signed contract. Well, at a certain point, it definitely went out of my hands into these student advisors' hands, the ones that were paid and had insurance and liability coverage and whatnot. It turns out we didn't even have a signed contract on the day of the show, you know, but at some point you have to announce, and I think it was m t v that beat us to the punch they They put Bowling Green State University on their television ads, so the the word was out. They decided that it was out, but anyway, our organization was lambasted, just really torn apart in the newspaper. You know, armchair quarterbacks, everybody wants to pick and choose. We had a gripe and moan over how the the previous concert was handled. We actually had a black fraternity boycott the concert saying that it was racist because there weren't any black performers going on stage. I mean, it was mark it was it was damn near, everything crazy you could imagine. it was all happening at once. So what do I do? on top of it? Of course, I decide to run for student government president while we're planning the show. So between both of these things, I was in the newspaper on a daily basis. I would walk to the bank or walk to my economics class or my psychology class, pick up a paper. Back when papers were physical things you could pick up, not just your tablet and phone.
0: What was that again you said there? A paper? I'm confused. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sonny. Back, see Benjamin Franklin
1: <laughs> and Martin Luther. They had paper anyway. Wow. Yeah, and, and and that's what it was. I would go to class, pick it up, and, and if it wasn't the front page, I'd open it up to the opinion page. And whoa, there's four articles on me, or the organization, or both, or the the political thing, and just getting slammed over there. And I, I just I just felt like all of their coverage was ridiculous. It was unfair. Um, especially especially with the concert coverage. I, I just felt like it was really unfair. So I went to the BG News and I said, hey, I've been reading your stuff. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I think you've really dragged me through the mud completely unnecessarily after busting my ass for about a year and a half to give this ca- campus something cool. And I want to change that, so I want to write for your paper next year. And they looked at me and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm a journalism minor, I'm a writer, I've critiqued your work, I don't think it's good, and I want to join and be a part of it now. Okay. So then I worked for the BG News for a while. So, the point of all that is just to kind of say I've always been interested in covering the media, and, you know, I guess maybe the origination of why the new American media, why did that come about specifically? I gotta say, Mark, you know, I, I bought a, a little condo out here in Los Angeles back in 2006. And just like Obamacare, I have been kicked off of my health insurance plan and here, I've lost my doctor. So basically the same thing that happened with Obamacare. I was lied to. My plan was stolen. My doctor was stolen. I was the canary in the coal mine. I was the test subject. I was that, that story, that anecdote you hear, but you don't know anybody that it's happened to. You know, no, no. That was me. And the same thing happened to me with my, with my condo. I, when I bought it in 2006, it, it, let's just say it lost two-thirds of its value within about a year and a half when everything crashed around me. And I'm trying to make sense of it. My homeowners association is going bankrupt. At, what was it, like 40% of our privately owned homes in our homeowners association were in various stages of foreclosure, nobody paying their monthly dues. And that's getting ready to go bankrupt. I'm sitting as vice president on that board of directors, trying to keep the ship from sinking. And it, toward the end of the Bush administration, the beginning of the Obama administration, I got so fed up. and I got so fed up with yelling at my television because it wasn't fixing anything, It wasn't doing anything. Now I don't know if if doing a website and doing radio shows is actually fixing or curing anything either. Let me get that straight. But I just, I just. I couldn't take it because I knew the television, it was not receiving the things that I was saying to it. When I'm yelling at MSNBC saying, that's just a lie. That is not true. Well, why, don't, why are they bailing them out? Why are they, you know, I mean, just yelling at the banks, yelling at J.P. Morgan, yelling at the Federal Reserve, yelling at the $17 trillion, I don't know, maybe it's $14 trillion in debt at the time. It's <laughs> just numbers. Just you a know, few trillion here I, and there just, between friends. Yeah, well, it's a few T. Yeah, I I just shortened it to T, not trillion. Anyway, you know, it's a few T between friends. (laughs) Suffering from low (laughs) T? Yeah, we have very few trillions. Anyway, I just realized that I needed to participate in the system. I needed to participate in the conversation because the stuff regarding the subprime housing crash and crisis, it was me. It was my story. I knew that I had something to say about it. I knew the things going on in the world with uh, the prolonged war in Iraq and Afghanistan, with the devaluation of our currency, with whatever it was, I just, I realized I didn't have my voice, you know. And ever since, I mean, even back before college, I was (laughs) announcing high school football games behind the microphone. I was writing for the high school newspaper. You know, and, and you make mistakes, and you learn, and you you say things you might want to take back and rephrase or just avoid altogether, and it helps define you as a person. I just said, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Am I Am I scared? Am I scared to actually put my voice out there? No, I never have been, and I'm not going to be. What am I waiting for? And I realized I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to design a website. The drummer in the band I moved out here with, Sean Flynn, rest his soul, dead in a motorcycle crash a couple years ago now, so but it was Sean that introduced me to Ted Distel who helped to get the site up and going. Uh, Sean is actually our uh, co-host, producer, engineer. Um, I, th- I think the show has never sounded as good as when Sean was doing the shows. But uh, yeah, I mean, when that ball got rolling... You know, one more, one more thing about that, and, I, and then I think that'll kind of explain why I did what I did. I, I went for about six weeks out to New Mexico. And they have these earth ships. They're 100% off-the-grid, self-sustainable homes with greenhouses. They catch up the water on the roof, filament cisterns, uh, no heating or cooling bill, solar power in battery banks for the electric. Anyway, I went and moved into this community, learning how to build different components of these systems. And it's, it's apparently a, a magical place. It's a place where Indian cultures have revered this area around Taos, New Mexico, for as far back as we can track And, you know, it was out there during that six weeks where I just kind of disappeared from life and did that whole thing. So I just kind of had the epiphany. That's really the birth. That that was really the conception.
0: You had a spiritual moment. That was the
1: conception point. Yeah, I did. I I had a spiritual moment. And that's what they say that area can do to you if you're willing to just listen. And when I came back, uh, conception turned into birth. And, uh, you know, I've been raising this kid ever since. You know, (laughs) and I haven't looked back. And I don't regret anything. I will obviously try to keep getting better at what I'm doing, but I finally feel like I have my voice again, and I'm I'm just tired of all the craziness happening in this world. And I don't know if I'm fixing anything, but I'm at least trying to let people know that if you think along these similar lines, you're not crazy, you're not a nut job, you're not wearing a tinfoil hat. And if you're going to hear it, raise your hand and gladly say, "Fine, then I'm a nut job, wearing my tinfoil hat, but I'm right," and keep going. You know, so. I don't know what we're accomplishing necessarily, but it's been a hell of a ride, and I'm I'm really happy to have the platform, and like I said, I'm really inspired when cats like you start doing what you do because it just makes me smile, you know?
0: Now, and that's part of what I hope to do here. Obviously, my main goal with the website, with the podcast, is to really advance the ideas of liberty, change the way people think, change the way people view their fellow man, how they act towards their fellow man, and that kind of thing. At the same time, I, I hope to just inspire people to just do what you and I have done, start their own projects, start your own website, start your own podcast, radio show. You know, make some songs, some music videos. It doesn't have to be that. It can be anything, but whatever it is. We, we just spent most of the last 20, 25 minutes talking about it, but whatever it is, just throw caution to the wind. Have that spiritual moment. Maybe you got to go to the desert or something to do it, but have that moment, decide you're going to do it, and start taking some baby steps. When we were saying that, hey, you know what, figure it out. Find a way, do something,
1: start a website, you know, start a podcast. The other component to this is that we don't need to start things. Not everybody wants to run an entire endeavor because it's a lot of work. It is crazy. There's a lot of stuff involved. A lot of people don't want the headaches. A lot of people could easily just join somebody else, try to reach out to somebody established doing something similar because that's one of the things we're starting to do right now is build our team. And I've talked to many people. They say, oh, I don't want to do my own radio show. I don't don't want the (laughs) – I don't have the time or my schedule changes i can't do something consistent you know so <laughs> no one on earth
0: the- as you know almost no one on this planet has a crazier more changing schedule than i do so if i can do it anybody can
1: i will agree with that because we we've, we've tried to meet up how many umpteen times and been successful how few yet i just want to say that even if, if people don't want to take on an entire task themselves hey you know what you can empty a swimming pool very fast if you have a thousand people each with a bucket of water not everybody needs a big pump and a filling station.
0: Now, Brian, we've been talking about a lot of things. We're going to take a quick little break, and we're going to come back and talk about the case of Kelly Thomas, as I discussed in my little opener there in the beginning of the show. We'll be back with Brian Engelman in a few minutes. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at theplacetobenation.com, your pop culture home do your kids want to meet the champion of the constitution what if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of ron paul's amazing life what if this biography breaks down complex concepts like austrian economic theory the dangers of the federal reserve blowback and a non-interventionist foreign policy what if i told you this book is real and available What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? Get your copy today at meetronpaul.com, also available on Amazon. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Visit meetronpaul.com. Keep the liberty movement moving.
1: Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's a radio show we have on the newamericanmedia.com every single Friday at 4:30 p.m. Pacific. Join the show. What do we talk about? Politics, religion and spirituality. Basically anything you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. <laughs> you're not supposed to have these conversations inside of a bar, but we have them every single Friday at 4:30 p.m. Pacific on the com. Join the show, offer your opinion, and let's
0: agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation.
1: This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening
0: to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, and we are back, and you just heard his voice again there. Yeah, agree
1: to disagree, yeah.
0: One of our very first sponsor, actually. Brian Engelman of the New American Media in here in the Lion's Den with me today. Brian, I did this show this week. I didn't really have a particular subject in mind. I had wanted to have you on the show for a long time, we've been buddies for a while. I guess the news and life kind of decided for me because this week we did have the verdict of the case of Kelly Thomas. I know this is a case that you've been following very closely for the past couple of years. I don't think a week goes by where you haven't posted some kind of article or comment on your social media uh, regarding the case of Kelly Thomas. So for people out there, I don't know how national the case this was because I don't really watch national news or any news at all. I don't know how many people outside of California know that much about this case. For the people out there that aren't familiar, can you just give a quick little summary of the case of Kelly Thomas and what exactly is going on there?
1: Yeah, there's so many moving parts to this. This was one of the bigger stories that popped onto my radar with the New American Media. We're about two and a half years in, so I mean, this this has been going on for a long time, and the verdict just came in. So Kelly Thomas, mentally disabled homeless man, I'm taking this off InfoWars just to kind of give you some of the background here. He was beaten, tasered, suffocated, and pistol-whipped as he lay on a street corner, being sat on by no less than six police officers during an incident in July of 2011. So, I mean, we talk about two and a half years later. This was damn near one of the first stories that I covered, if I recall correctly. July 2011, Thomas can be heard on the video moaning, Daddy, Daddy, they're killing me. So what we had here... Manuel Ramos and Officer Jasis and Ellie were charged with the murder, and they were just acquitted. Now, what I need to say is, I heard about the story. Yeah, well, sure, if, it, if it's on Infowars, it's got to be incorrect. All right, folks, check this out. It's all verifiable, all I, and, I'm, and I'm urging every listener, I'm begging every listener, if you're capable of stomaching this, Please go on YouTube and watch the video unedited when homeless man Kelly Thomas, he's on the ground and Ramos is giving him contradictory instructions. Kelly Thomas is not violent. He's not brandishing a weapon. He's not swinging wildly. He's sitting down. Then they tell him to sit and then open his legs, but to cross his legs. But he's just messing with him. Ramos starts putting on latex gloves. It's crucial to get the context of what happens when this peace officer, who apparently has no duty to protect and serve anymore, according to one of the rulings that just came down from some other kangaroo court, uh, starts putting on latex gloves. And he says, you know what these are? Or you see these fists? They're getting ready to f you up. And he starts putting on latex gloves to avoid the blood that he's about to spill on this guy that's presenting no, no threat. No threat to anyone they beat this guy to death, six of them, cracking his skull open. Look at the picture afterward, the huge pile of blood. Look at the before and after picture of Kelly Thomas. He doesn't even look human as he laid in a coma for five days before he was finally before he finally died in the hospital.
0: Yeah, and it is very clear from that video that it's not like there was an altercation that got out of control and uh, they went a little too far in, in restraining him. There was a concerted effort to put on the gloves, state what his intention with putting on the gloves for, it, and then the horrible, horrible beating ensues. And like Brian mentioned, I I can't say I recommend watching the video because it really is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my life. But it, it, I think it's crucial that people do watch it to really understand the nature of the crime that these men have gotten away with.
1: You know, I either tweeted out or put on Facebook that this was one of the most disgusting things, uh, one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. Maybe the close second, maybe the only worst thing I've seen was a journalist, I believe, in, in Iraq, shortly after the start of the Iraq War, uh, after 9-11. There was a journalist named Nicholas Berg who was beheaded on on camera. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And I I forced my... I, I, I knew what it was, and I certainly had no interest in seeing it, but I needed to understand. It's an image, it's a sight, it's a video that that still sticks with me to this day, still makes me sick. I watched this Kelly Thomas murder, and I don't care if they were acquitted or not, this was murder. And more cops come, and then more cops come, and I'm just watching this with with literal, not figurative, literal tears in my eyes, sick to my stomach. Other cops are coming and they're not handcuffing the arm that's out there and trying to connect it to another set of handcuffs on the left and then trying to connect and just just calm the situation down. They just keep beating.
0: It's like it's like they hold him down down and and assist in, in this brutality. These cops should have ran in and said, guys, 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 stop. They didn't do that
1: they should all be charged with murder which really
0: shows that it's not one bad seed it's not a black sheep it's it's something institutional when you can have six guys there you know some of them participating directly in it and the others you know lending a helping hand not thinking anything is remotely wrong with what's going on
1: yeah yeah that's the mentality and i will say this i do know several police officers friends of mine and some good friends of mine I uh, spoke with one in Arizona. He kind of didn't want to go on the record, but uh, over in Arizona, and he said, "Yeah, I saw you and so and so bashing bashing the police the other day. Uh, uh, how did that feel, you communist or something like that?" And I'm like, "I'm like, dude, those murders." He's like, he's like, yeah, you're bad bad mouthing cops." I'm like, "No, just the crooked, disgusting, murderous ones."
0: If being against brutal assaults on mentally disabled homeless men is being a communist, I'm a communist too, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can we just take that clip where you
0: say, I'm a communist? And uh, can we I, use know a I know you're going to take that. I know you're going to take it and manipulate it and spin a whole thing. And, and now it's going to be out there on the internet, so who, who knows It's going to just pop up about me, but we'll let well, it out. Why,
1: why would I do it when the NSA could just do it anyway and they could build a case against you after the fact? Very no, but... Point. Uh, I'm here, I'm going to read you verbatim a little bit of this stuff here. So he says, I see that you and your friend are cop haters yesterday, LOL. I replied, just the corrupt, murderous, bully-type cops. And then my, my police friend, he says, I can give you a different point of view. In the end, I will say it was excessive, but not malicious or being a bully. His death would have been prevented by simple compliance. My reply... I don't think for context I need to swear, but I say horse s. And then he goes, put on the vest. I reply, he was sitting. He replies, yes, I get that. People fight and false cry and all kind of stuff. Dude, you really don't know until you're there. And this isn't a knock on you. It's just a fact of life.
0: So what he is saying is that the sentence for not immediately... Complying with an officer, even if you are a mentally handicapped man or or what have you, is instant death without trial.
1: Hmm, kind of sounds like the National Defense Authorization Act that Barack Obama illegally signed into law. What was that, on New Year's Eve two years ago? Yeah. Something like that, the NDAA, you may have heard of it.
0: Everything ties back at some point, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. I have been hanging out watching Cleveland Browns games because I'm, I don't know, a masochist or sadist. What what, was sadist is where you like to get punished, is that how that works?
0: Uh, I think sadist wants to do the punishing and the masochist wants that, you know, I'm not an expert on this or anything. So it's one of those, <laughs> but if you're listening to the podcast, please send
1: us a tweet and let us know, um, whichever the one that enjoys inf- having pain inflicted upon them, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I would go watch the Cleveland Browns games, and as you know, they were four and twelve, just a miserable team. Fired their head coach one season in, and now they can't get a new head coach because they know that the organization won't let them actually do their job, and nobody wants to take the position because they just can be fired and discredited anyway. So, in the course of going to watch these games, I developed a friendship with this gentleman. I will also leave him unnamed as of yet. Let's just say he's a police officer in Southern California. For a long time, he didn't even mention what he did. You know, he said he's in real estate, which he is, but it came out like a week or two ago that he's a police officer. I said, where the heck did that come from? Man, we've been hanging out here for 14 weeks. That's the first I've heard of it. He's like, yeah, you know, I just, I don't like talking about this and that. And and Kelly Thomas came up. And, you know, he kind of started defending the Fullerton police. And I said, dude, seriously, putting on latex gloves, saying I'm going to F you up, that is that is not protecting and serving, that nobody would want anyone to go through that, no matter how bad they're being. And he said, listen, man, that's that's one of the first things that you're supposed to do in the escalation of, you know, you know sometimes just making it crystal clear that this is where this is going. If you don't X, Y, Z, that's one of the things before a taser, before mace, before a, uh, a baton, before a gun. And I'm like, man, that's just, that ain't right. <laughs> They could have asked him to put his hands behind it. They could have cuffed him right there until they started swarming him and, and threatening him. Yeah, I
0: mean, six it guys, can and even three guys, six guys, I mean, can clearly physically handcuff the guy if that's, if that's really their only goal.
1: Well, I heard someone else on local radio out here saying uh, they were interviewing a police officer and said, hey, you know what, when you're, when you're in an altercation, when you're in a tussle, people are moving, people are sweating. You can, it, it can be very hard to get one arm pinned down. It can be very hard to get cuffs on somebody. You might not even notice if your sidearm is unholstered in the fight. Hopefully you do before something happens, but but, but my point is this because all that stuff and we can debate that a little bit. It's black and white to me. These are murderers, these are thugs, these are bullies. There is no middle ground here. But I will say this. You and me, Mark, we were at a a gathering at a certain individual.
0: Oh, we can uh, call it a party. Friends. It's okay. We can just call it a party. <laughs> I was almost
1: thrown down a flight of stairs by an over-aggressive LAPD cop for the crime of standing at my friend's home with a glass of water.
0: Yeah, I don't think you were even drinking that night. You might have had a beer, but you were you were dead sober when I was talking to you.
1: Holding a glass of
0: water, almost thrown down a flight
1: of stairs, and I know that most of these cops are mic'd, and I'm in flip-flops in a Hawaiian T-shirt, you know, and and, and as as they're damn near almost throwing me down the stairs. I mean, I'm, I'm in flip-flops and I've, I'm almost falling at this point. This guy's about six foot five, maybe about 250, sixty, Dude, and I yelled, don't throw me down the stairs. Because I know they have those, those lapel microphones. You're, you're going to go to court after I say, don't throw me down the stairs because you threw this guy down the stairs? Well, guess what? I just outed you, bro. And so I get down there, and then there's another pit bull kind of cop. Gets up in my face. You've been drinking tonight? You out in public? I could feel his breath on my face challenging me to a fight. He, he was a little dude, a little cop. One, one of these Napoleon complex guys. Right up in my face, like, I can't wait to crack your skull, bro. I, I can't wait to crack your skull. I'm going to do this. Come on, come on, say something. Look at me wrong. No, no. It's one of those things where whatever you say is wrong, but not saying something is also wrong.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you legitimately feel, it reminded me of the time that three loose pit bulls were in the neighborhood and they, they trapped me and my neighbor in the front yard before someone in the street went and clapped a couple times and the dogs turned and we ran inside before we were attacked. This is right after these dogs killed the neighbor's dog, ripped out its entrails, died in my front yard. So that's exactly the best way I can describe it. I felt like I was thrown by a pit bull Downstairs to another waiting pit bull. And I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wasn't, I I, I wasn't throwing rocks at these people. I wasn't brandishing a, a weapon that could have injured these people. And I almost had my skull cracked open. So this Kelly Thomas story, once again, the canary in the coal mine, this is what could have been me. This is something I experienced. It was overly aggressive. It was unnecessary it was an escalation toward violence as a first answer unnecessarily and it killed this kelly thomas i shudder to think let's just let's just play a what if game if 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 you'd be so bold for a second here mark i will be so bold what if officer ramos was officer white who beat and murdered homeless mr ramos well,
0: we can even go less extreme i mean even if it's not a murder i mean look at um the rodney king case look at all the outrage and fallout to the point of riots with that i mean this was a bunch of officers beating on a black man with their batons is a pretty brutal beating but the guy lived rodney king became a figure we all know of and i have sympathy for rodney king i don't think he deserved that beating either but I think it's very clear that the beating and murder of Kelly Thomas was much, much more brutal, and yet you don't see the same kind of national kind of outcry.
1: I mean, if this were a a white cop killing a Latino boy on the street who was posing no threat to them, would Sharpton and Jackson get involved since, since a Latino isn't black and they only care about that kind of race baiting, or, or do you think that they would be marching in the streets Uh, George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin, I looked at as much evidence as I could find on that case, and it it sure as hell looked like there was an altercation and that the Zimmerman guy defended himself. And I held back on an opinion on it for so long because I needed to gather the data. Now, I don't know. I didn't have a video. (laughs) I could be wrong on that. And, you know, Zimmerman getting arrested for spousal abuse and allegedly brandishing his gun again, Yeah. Okay, that's clearly not painting a good picture. Maybe we were duped on that one. I don't know. But we had video of this. We had him begging, screaming, saying, Sorry, dude, sorry, sorry, calling for his dad. You can hear the words being smashed and suffocated out of him as his cries go silent and the puddle of blood grows on the concrete. This is not up for debate. This isn't, well, I, you know, put on the vest. No way, man. With all due respect, this was flat out murder by a cop who put on his gloves and knew exactly what he was getting into. And what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be hoping for riots? Are we supposed to be hoping for vigilante justice like Christopher Dorner, the former LAPD guy that was allegedly, according to his claims, wronged by the LAPD department and he went on that shooting spree when they burned him alive in a cabin. Um, I mean, how, you know, you, you can't root for riots. You can't root for vigilante justice to get this, these two ex-Fullerton cops off the street. But guess what? Now they want their jobs back.
0: Yeah, I just, I just saw that article today. They, uh, the one guy, Cicinelli. guy Cicinelli, him and his lawyer are going to begin a fight, a legal fight, Uh, I guess, to get his job back, because, you know, in, in their minds, he's been found not guilty. Therefore, he's done nothing wrong. Therefore, there's no reason he shouldn't be back on the street doing his quote unquote job.
1: This thing really hits home to me. I still can't look at police officers the same after I was manhandled and they were ramping up. They were escalating toward violence unnecessarily. This wasn't a riot that was getting out of control and certain measures had to be enacted to calm things down. That was not the case. And I almost got my skull crashed. And that almost happened to me. And so when I see this, it, you know, I hate doing what I have to do sometimes, because I don't want to watch these videos. I don't want to become personally affected by this. But if I don't, who's going to? You know, who's... It, and I always look at it like, who's going to defend the next person? Defending the, the values of freedom and liberty. Well, if 230 years ago they didn't do that, would I be living in like a North Korea? Or, or, or a Cuba? Or a... Iran, or I mean, I don't know. Go go through our other laundry list of awesome countries. I mean, is that what this place would be? I I don't know. I'm just trying to pay it forward. And you know, they they really killed this Kelly Thomas twice. You know, they 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 killed him the first time. He doesn't even look human in these before and after pictures. I'm looking at it right now. It's just
0: yeah, it's, truly it's so awesome.
1: disgusting. And I really did sit there and I I cried. And it it, it crushed me. Part of my Part of my soul died when I looked at this and I watched all however many minutes of that video there were and now these guys are off on the street I don't understand it Mark um calling for riots or vigilante justice to take these former cops out that what that couldn't possibly do anything good I you know that's not the direction I'm going I don't know what direction to go do I have, don't know what the remedy for this is
0: Do you have any thoughts on I mean you watched the vi- same video I have that many other people have seen out there, and we know the jury saw the same video. I have an image here, actually, that is from the trial, and it, it lists all of Kelly Thomas's pleas. He was pleading the entire time, this entire 30 minutes for them to stop beating him. It says here, and you can see, if you watch the video, you'll, you can count up yourself. You'll hear him say all these things over and over and over again. He said, Dad, help me. They're killing me. He said it 31 times. He said, Sir, please, okay, okay. Obviously, that is, you know, a sign of compliance. 30 times he said that. Help me, help me God, 26 times. I'm sorry, 15 times. And this is over the course of this entire beating. I mean, you think even one of those phrases said once would be enough for the officers to say, okay, He is not putting up any whatever resistance we think he's putting up anymore. We can now stop what we're doing. Not that they should be even beating him in the first place for any reason, because that does not sound like protecting and serving to me. What this comes down to, I mean, why do you think the jury, after seeing all the evidence we had, obviously we didn't see all the evidence. We're not the jurors. Maybe there are some other things that they saw we didn't. But in this case, where there was a very clear video of the entire incident How on earth do you think these 12 human beings that I got to think aren't necessarily terrible people, how did they all come to this conclusion of not guilty? Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? It's pretty mind-boggling.
1: Well, it's a little bit like when the Obamacare ruling kind of came down and Supreme Court Justice John Roberts did a complete 180 and where it seemed like he was absolutely gonna rule and strike this down on tenth amendment terms that that, you know, any powers not specifically delegated to the federal government shall be reserved for the states, meaning you can't have federal government imposed on all fifty states what they need to purchase, which is insane. And then he flipped and he was a deciding vote how history tells it is that he was the deciding vote to push through this illegal Obamacare ACA Act. There have been questions as to whether the NSA and the Obama administration had dirt on the Supreme Court justice and in fact has him in his back pocket where if you don't do this then we're going to do that or we know about your certain family member or we know about this thing in your past and we're going we're gonna to run you through the ground run you through the mud or maybe taxes weren't paid for a certain t- we'll get you unless you comply and do this and flip your vote all hearsay all just speculation and theories, because I haven't seen any smoking gun on that, but I've heard similar um, theories addressing that same question, and one of them was, why was this trial held in the same county where this happened? You know, these people live there. You know, if, if, if these are jurors, wouldn't there be a target put on their back, like we're going to retaliate against, you know, that thin blue line where the police defend the police, where my friend says, put on a vest, bro? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll put on a vest so I can go murder. That's insane. Now, it's a really interesting that- um,
0: thing you you say there that you know, Fullerton is is a you know, it's not a huge community, it's not a s- small town either, but it's the kind of place where a lot of people kind of know each other, and people have seen this brutality from the police. I mean, I know jurors are quote unquote anonymous, but we also kind of know that. <laughs> A lot of the police are at the trial. Uh, the Police can see the jurors, all this kind of thing. Do you think that th- that is a factor at all that there was, a, you know, any kind of fear from the jurors? Like, you know, we don't want to call you guilty because who knows what your your cop friends are going to do to us. I mean, that's just a complete baseless theory. <laughs> but Well, look, look, in the absence of common
1: sense, we got we to ponder. We got to pont- pontificate this stuff out loud and just say, hmm, what's more likely? I don't know how anybody let alone 12 people could watch what I watched and not come up with the same exact conclusion that I reached. I don't get it. These murderers are walking free. The citizens of Fullerton are not safe. No member of the American public is safe anywhere. One of the quotes that kind of sums up this point that I'm making is, if these two cops don't, former cops don't deserve to be in jail, open the doors because nobody deserves to be in jail.
0: You've got people in jail right now for owning a plant or for growing a plant that occurs naturally in naturally in nature. But you have people in jail for absolutely completely nonviolent, quote unquote, crimes because I don't consider them crimes. I only consider when someone violates the rights of another a crime. And absolutely the case of Kelly Thomas and the beating that he went through is a crime because we have a video and I don't care what context that's in, That, it, that what, what occurred on that video is a crime. Now, here's my theory. And again, it's all just a theory. I don't know what's going on in the minds of these jurors. Um, but I think our society has a sickness. And, and a part of that sickness is that people seem to look at police, uh, government, military, soldiers. They, they look at all these kind of authority figures And they kind of put them on a different level of the rest of us. They think, maybe even not actively think, maybe just subconsciously, but, you know, these people are doing their jobs. They're here to serve and protect us. That is what they're there for. And we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because we're just normal citizens. We're not police officers. We don't, you know, kind of like you said, we're not wearing the vest. We just don't know. And at the end of the day, maybe the prosecutor planted enough of that in their minds that we just can't convict these guys of murder, of manslaughter, and all that stuff because they're the police. And at the end of the day, they probably just did what they thought they had to do. As sad as and as terrible as it is, now how you can watch a half hour beating? It's not like it's a punch in the face. I could see if there was a confrontation, an officer went over the line, and and a guy got killed because he, you know, it was a heat of the moment. But you can't call a half hour beating when a guy st- begins it by slowly putting on his latex gloves and stating his intentions with those gloves, you can't call that a crime of passion or anything. It is very, very clearly premeditated. Maybe they didn't intend to kill him. Maybe they just intended to beat the living hell out of him. But you know, when you beat the living hell out of somebody, there's a, a chance they will die. So you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't know. Again, we're just theorizing because in in the face of all logic, that's all we have left is theorizing that it's really just this problem with society where we don't look at all humans the same. It's the real equality. You know, when you have the president coming out there and talking about income equality and and things like that and how much stuff people have (laughs) and and how we got to change that so everyone's equal, well, you know, that kind of equality I'm not too concerned about. The kind of inequality I'm concerned about is the kind where certain people in our society are allowed to use violence almost carte blanche they're allowed to do whatever they want with violence because there's a system in place not only a system in place but a societal kind of way of thinking in place that puts them on a a little bit of a pedestal on a different level than the rest of us i mean if there was a video of of you and me beating a homeless man to death and you put the gloves on and we're like hey mark hold this guy down you see what i'm gonna do with these I'm, i'm gonna beat the hell out of this guy with these fists I'm pretty sure we would not be free men right now. We would probably be spending the rest of our lives, rightly so, behind bars and away from society. And now these guys are, are on the street, and heck, maybe they'll even be in a uniform again. I mean, I have no idea.
1: That is a frightening concept. And I think you might be onto something with your theory there, that the general public tends to maybe look the other way or just defer to authority. There were studies done, psychological studies. I mean, Sorry, I forget exactly where they took place, but it was something where all the participants were told to press a button and then certain shock waves would be distributed to somebody in another room and they could hear the screams or they could hear the discomfort and then they turned it up. They told them what the safe level was and where it could cause death. And they would push the buttons and, you know, and then, all right, now turn it up to 10, now turn it up to 15, now turn it up to and 20. And the screams from the other side would be audible. They would be... A lot. It would, it would, it would start getting uncomfortable. Then the participants would stop. They'd just say, no, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm not doing this. And they would actually have somebody in an official looking, some, some sort of, uh, uniform come in and say, you're going to complete this. This is the program we signed up for. You're going to do it. And, and these people just complied to the point where the screams were excruciating and, and they stopped and they, the participants thought that they had killed them.
0: It's the
1: Milgram experiment. Yeah. In this experiment, you know, it's just, it's just, it was one of many ways to try to make sense of, well, why do people go through with orders to round up, exterminate, and gas in World War II, and, you know, why do people do this? And there's something about an authority figure telling you something where it it just convinces a lot of people. Now, I'm I'm the opposite. (laughs) I'm the opposite. I don't like being told what to do, and I don't like authority figures. I think authority figures are to be mistrusted at all times. Maybe that's the definition of a journalist. But for me, when it comes to politicians, when it comes to police officers, when it comes to military, I think that scrutiny needs to be (laughs) the highest level attainable of scrutiny. Now, I don't mean unfair. I'm not saying it should be bashing or it should be malicious, But I'll tell you what, when it comes to defending our civil liberties, and I keep using this animal as a reference, but we need pit bulls to defend ourselves and our civil liberties.
0: How about lions? Will lions do?
1: That's very clever. Kudos to you. I think that all of these officials need to be held to a higher standard. There might be something to that where people are more willing to give deference to, well, I just don't know. I had never worn the vest. But to me, Mark, it's crystal clear. That is, that is straight up murder. And, and I, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, I, let me just say this. All prayers to the Kelly Thomas family right now. And, uh, prayers, uh, you know, I, I, I implore protection from the ruling power of this universe, God, however people choose to define it, please, God help us, because if the police can just murder without repercussion, it sends a message that this type of behavior is okay, and we are in way worse trouble than I thought.
0: And much like you said, you know, I don't know the solution per se, what's frightening to me is that this verdict might embolden even more police to say, hey, I can do whatever I want, I can beat people up because... These guys got off, so hey, they'll probably let me off, too, when it comes down to it. But, you know, we talk about solutions, and like I said, I don't know the quote-unquote solution. I don't think there's ever a full solution where we never see injustice, and we never see beatings like this under the color of authority again. I don't think there is any solution to that ceasing that altogether in the world, but I do know that it's not going to stop unless people, A, know it's happening, and B... I think it's wrong. <laughs> that is a two-part process because I don't think this – I don't watch mainstream news at all, but I'm pretty sure this story was not plastered all over MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, the usual suspects. If I'm wrong, someone let me know. Send me some links. I have
1: seen how, – how much have you seen in the past week, past couple of days especially, about the George Washington Bridge and Chris Christie over three lanes of traffic? Oh, yeah. How, he, uh, that how many stories you haven't seen over the Kelly Thomas murder?
0: Right. And there's yeah, the
1: outrage from the civil rights leaders in the ACLU when when the guy's white. Right. Where are the same people who allegedly stand up and defend injustice everywhere? Where is Sharpton? Where is Jackson on this one? You want to defend Trayvon Martin, who all all pieces of evidence during that trial showed that this guy acted in self-defense. This is crystal clear, cut police abuse, sanctioned murder. Where in the hell are these same air quote public leaders, civil rights defenders, or professional shakedown artists? Where are these guys defending Kelly Thomas in Fullerton right now? Where are the protests? I had no idea why Spike Lee was giving out the address to who he thought was George Zimmerman, but we're not doing that with these police. Yeah, is he giving out I'm the address not advocating any, That's what I'm saying. Spike Lee was sending out that information saying, let's go get him. Here's his address. There, there were all sorts of calls on Zimmerman to, for vigilante justice. None of that was prosecuted by Eric Holder. None of it. But, hey, this happens to Kelly Thomas. Not a peep. You don't even see it on Fox. I mean... I don't understand how this story is not everywhere in the world. I'm just so disgusted, and I'm obviously, to reiterate, not calling for any violence and retribution here. I'm just saying the backlash that was seen with Trayvon Martin, skittles and iced tea everywhere, and what happened was tragic and it's horrible. And but on the flip side, if it was an attack, I certainly believe in, this, in, in the right to self-defense and the right to conceal carry. So if that's what happened, then you know he has every right to defend himself. My point is. There's nobody really speaking up about this. I I just can't understand it. This is way worse than Rodney King. Rodney King survived that beating and lived another, what, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think he passed away last year. I mean, the, the man got to collect several million from the police department and move on with his life. Kelly Thomas is dead, and he has been for two and a half years. Where is the outrage over this, the legitimate outrage over a black and white case of Police brutality and corruption, Mark. I
0: well, it's definitely here. Yeah, yeah, now
1: yeah, you got me thinking about it again, and I'm <laughs> just—it's one of those stories where the more I think about it, the more disgusted I get. Because here we are—we've—we've we've, we've had a whole podcast, and what's the answer? There is no freaking answer. There is no answer. There, there's nothing that's going to fix this. Civil case, like like OJ got away with murder, but then he got hammered in a civil case, right, maybe. If yeah, I maybe. Mean, it's just now he doesn't get I, his job
0: back. I hope and I, I I would imagine that the family will be bringing a civil suit and, and, and suing the pants off these people. But, you know, even if they win a case and bring these guys to bankruptcy and all that, it's not going to bring their son back and it's not going to change what happened to Kelly Thomas and nothing can ever change that. And, and it's just... The absolute saddest, I mean, the, the sad thing is that there are probably a lot of other cases like this that you and I have never heard of that, you know, in other states, in other countries. I mean, who knows how how much authority figures have just beaten and abused people, you know, forget the country, all across the globe, all across the universe. Maybe there's other police state planets out there I don't know about, but regardless – this, these things are never going to change until we get a lot more people talking about them. That's my mission here. I know that's your mission over at the New American Media. Brian, I don't want to end this on a, such a down note. It's hard not to, but, you know, talk to some people about the positive stuff you're doing over, over the New American Media. Let people know where they can find everything you're doing, where they can find you on social media, and all that great stuff before we let you go.
1: Yeah, I will try to steer this back off of the – we've been riding on the shoulder of the road for a while here, a really bumpy and jarring uh, ride that we've had, but it's a bumpy, jarring story, and we're covering it. We're covering Fukushima. Uh, I'm living on the West Coast, and it's all rolling up here, and it's just being whitewashed. The story's just being hidden from public view. Why Why aren't we talking about Fukushima? You know, across the board, there are stories that we try to cover that we don't think are getting enough attention other places, and that's why we started our website. It's called thenewamericanmedia.com. I encourage people to check it out. On Facebook, just do a search of The New American Media, with spaces in between, and like our page. Um, I think you can do that off of our homepage, thenewamericanmedia.com as well. On Twitter, we're at American underscore media underscore... And on YouTube or youtube.com slash the new American media, please go there and click subscribe. I'll tell you what, it's, it's days like yesterday and the day, the day before you know, I heard the verdict. That I, I felt like I was in a parallel universe. I'm like, I'm not really hearing that. That's not really happening, and it did. Um, but nothing, nothing's going to stop us. Nothing's going to stop the movement to get our lives back. You know, the, the, this country was founded as a grand experiment of liberty and freedom, just being left alone. I think we are in serious trouble on this planet if we don't get our act together. And the positive part of it is that I've been very, very encouraged over the past few years. Just a couple of the guests that we've had since we've been doing radio shows with the New America Media, we've had uh, libertarian presidential candidate, Gary Johnson, coast to coast host john b wells
0: yeah brian has conducted a ton of great interviews over the past couple years so definitely be sure to go check out his youtube page check out his website and go back and listen to a lot of because there is just some a ton of great guests you had ben swan on i mean you've had had a ton of great guys on there
1: yeah well thank Thank you for the kind words yeah and, and, and you know it's just as i talk to all these people that are also connected and also doing the same thing you talk with a Ben Swan or John B. Wells or a Gary Johnson or go down the laundry list of cool people and it's just, it's motivating to know you're not the only one. You're not crazy. And you don't need to agree with anybody on 100% of anything. How about 70% of stuff? You know, and what it comes down to for me is I think that we are going to get things fixed. I think that our best days are ahead of us. I just think it's its like a lot of stuff. You got to admit you have a problem and the withdrawal is going to be pretty bad, and you, you might have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. I just, I, I think we're going to have to take our medicine. It's going to get bad for a little while because it has to, because everything that's been inflated and the bubbles in the economic markets, I know you spend a lot more time on that stuff on your shows than me typically, but I think it's going to have to crash because it's already been dead. It's kind of like Weekend at Bernie's. The, the corpse has been dead for a while. You just put a funny shirt on him and some sunglasses, and you keep propping him up. I think we just need to have our funeral service for Weekend to Bernie's Guy, our mm-hmm. economy, and just hit reset, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's silver and gold, whether it's a Federal Reserve note that is whatever the case may be. I am encouraged with all the people that we've been able to connect with over the past two and a half years, yourself included. I think that this is going to be a steamroll. This is going to be a snowball effect. I think 2014 elections are just going to be a bloodbath. For big government progressives in both parties, Republicans and Democrats, because I don't love the Republicans just because I'm anti-Democrat. I think it's happening. And I think the power is being wrestled away from the oligarchs who have had control for too long. And I think it's way overdue. And I'm just, I'm privileged to have an outlet, a forum, a group of people, friends in the industry, uh, listeners and fans. I appreciate each and everybody. And I certainly appreciated having a chance to come on your podcast today. So we shouldn't wait as long next time to get you back on and disagree.
0: Absolutely, Agree I, disagree. Absolutely, I I can't wait to be back on your show, and I definitely can't wait to have you on again. Because as everybody can tell from from how long we've been talking here, we can go on for hours and hours about this stuff. So we'll definitely you know make a point to have you back on again, and I'll I'll make a point to come back on your show again. Guys, be sure to check out the new americanmedia.com. He's got a lot of interesting stuff out there. It's not just politics, it's spirituality, sports, all, it's something for everybody there I and mean, tons of interesting stuff going on. Brian Engelman, thank you so much for being here with me today on the Lions Liberty podcast.
1: I appreciate you, brother. Good luck and best wishes to you and your team, especially to John in post production.
0: <laughs> all right, thanks buddy. Take care. And that's going to wrap it up today on the Lions Liberty podcast. I was glad to have my pal Brian Engelman here on the show today. And, you know, we had this podcast planned out for a few weeks, but it's fitting that this Kelly Thomas verdict came this week because Brian Engelman, as you heard, is, is about as close to an expert on this case as you can get without being the defense attorney or the prosecutor. I mean, he's been following this thing every single day since pretty much since I've met him. And it's truly shocking and sad. And folks, we have a society that seems to accept this stuff. I mean, I know a few people that are aware of the case and are outraged by it. But, I mean, any society that accepts you know, beatings, murder, of, by authority figures, by anybody, well, like I said earlier, society has a sickness. This is not something people should accept. And I don't know the solution to all the world's ills. I don't expect to uh, use this forum to change the entire world and make sure injustice never happens again. But the only thing I can think to do is to be here on this podcast, is to have my website, lionsofliberty.com. Have this podcast, which you can check out at com slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on the Stitcher radio app all i can think to do is to keep this conversation going keep informing people and you know we're going to continue to do that here each and every week including once again we'll be back next week and i've got a lot of interesting great guests lined up for you the next few weeks so be sure to come back and keep checking us out and until then live long and live free (laughs)